Welcome to Fandom and Wellness, a podcast about the complex relationship between fandom and mental health. Disclaimer, we are not psychiatrists or psychologists. We are just fangirls with a vested interest in mental health. I'm Jenny. And I'm Danielle. Arkita won't be joining us today, but we do have a special guest on to discuss the Matrix trilogy. K.L. Keegan is an assistant professor of women, gender, and sexual studies and liberal studies, as well as the author of Lana and Lily Wachowski. It is such an honor to have you on. Hi, hello. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> so when we have a guest on, we like to ask what their pronouns are. Danielle and I both go by she, her, hers. And what are yours? He, him, his. Great. Um, so today is National Coming Out Day. So it's especially exciting to be doing a 20th anniversary episode of a movie that says fuck you to the gender binary today. Kale, can you please tell listeners a bit about yourself and why you chose to write your book? Um, hi, thanks so much for having me on. Um, so I'm an assistant professor of women, gender and sexuality studies here in Michigan. And I'm a giant movie nerd. <laughs> um, and I've always been really into the kind of relationship between identity and media. Love um, it. Yeah, so you're this is like a perfect situation for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have always been a big fan of the Wachowski's work, but I got really interested in writing about the influence that trans, trans creators have had on mainstream culture um, when I was in grad school. And so that was really the, the kind of reason why I wrote the book, because these are trans people having a huge impact on pop culture. And I wanted to think more about that. Cool. Um, so there's been a lot of revelations since Lana and Lily have come out as trans. Um, about the movie, I guess, and how we interpret it. But what did this movie first mean to you when you first saw it? You know, I kind of missed the train on The Matrix. Um, Interesting. I, okay. <laughs> I know. I was uh, I was in college at the time. I'm I'm old, um, and, and I'm sure it was screening in 35 millimeter, like at at like the local theater when I was in college. But I didn't go see it. So mm-hmm. I've seen this. Like it's kind of funny because there are certain films that you kind of catch up to. I think right. the whole culture caught up to the Matrix, like, after it happened. Yes. Like, we're still catching up to it. Um, so, it's I think I must... It's a little timeless, I think, right? Yeah, right? Like, it's a classic. Um, yeah. It's about, like, it's it has universal themes. It's also very much of its time in different ways. But I think I must have seen it on, like, shitty VHS. <laughs> well, like... then it wasn't that... <laughs> It was a, a while ago then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I saw it on DVD and then I saw it in uh, 4K recently. I've seen theater screenings of it in 35 millimeter. Um, and every time I see it, I'm just like, wow, it's still so relevant. Right. Um, so I, I, I kind of write in the book about how we have these like long relationships with films where it's not just about seeing them the first time, but about seeing them over and over again over the course of our lives and kind of how our identities and the films start to build, you start to build a relationship with a text. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like 20 years of watching the matrix in different <laughs> contexts. So how would you say how you like interpreted the film when you first saw it versus maybe now has like changed? I think when I first saw it, I was just like, this is some cool Kung Fu weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Yeah. And yeah, and I was really into the outfits. I was really into the leather. It was it was like queer, but no one could say why. You know what I mean? Like like I'm getting vibes from this movie, but I can't explain why it's signifying as queer to me Mm -hmm. because there were like no queer characters. 
And it took me like a whole transition and a whole, a, a whole bunch of like studying cinema and, and gender to realize, oh, this movie is actually like a trans movie. Right. And it's like the whole fandom caught up with the authorship in a certain way. Or like we all got got together 20 years later in a reunion and we're like, oh my God, you're trans and you're trans and you're trans. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so like, yeah, I, I, I think realizing that the movie, the work I did on the movie about it being about transition and about gender um, really helped explain to me why I've always thought the movie was like really, really queer from the very beginning, but couldn't put my finger on it. Right. That's you know? amazing. Yeah. Sudden, suddenly everything makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, for, for me, like I, the movie, I think definitely went over my head quite a lot because I saw it like when it came out in theaters and like, I'm 32 right now. So uh. I saw it when I was like, <laughs> like a little kid. Um, and I just remember like the bullet time and like, right. Like, mm. like they're cool outfits and everything. But I especially remember Trinity because she was yeah. such a badass and just like, I don't know. I, I love that it's just like she takes leadership in these movies mm-hmm. in a way that like you didn't really see in other movies then. You still don't necessarily see it in movies now. Like she opens all three of the movies, I, I think. Um mm-hmm. like it like even her death scene, like no man can kill Trinity. Like the system ends up killing Trinity. <laughs> like she's exactly. just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um in fact, you might be interested to know that there were early tests with a female Neo for mm-hmm. The Matrix. So I've always kind of regarded that character as, like, the, in the movie itself, it's explained that she thought maybe she was the one right. and then was told she wasn't. But Neo is also told he isn't the one, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. like, there was a lot of analysis of the film from a queer studies perspective that, like, Neo and Trinity are, like, two versions of the same person. Yes. Right. Which is why they right? look so androgynous, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, you have to think about, like, how they actually tested Sandra Bullock in the role. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. On, along with Will Smith, too. So, like, there are all these other, like, versions of The Matrix that don't exist. Yeah. In right. which the lead is black or a woman. Which I think they tried to do in the sequels with with Jada Pinkett uh, Smith. God, right? she's so good. Her character, <laughs> right? And like making Niobe kind of like the lead of the second two films, especially if you've played um, Enter the Matrix, the video game. Like hours logged in the character are higher for Niobe than for Neo. So I think they tried to shift the focus later on in the franchise, but yeah, like. You kind of yeah. wish Trinity all along, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I I was just talking to someone about how there's often a character that is the one, which is kind of an average man, and then there's like a, uh, a extremely competent sidekick woman who, for some reason, isn't the one. And I feel like that's a trend. For like no reason at all, right? <laughs> like, yeah. That's a trend, and I feel like in a lot of movies. And off the top of my head, like Lego Movie, Harry Potter, like uh, they're, they're, uh-huh. they're just a bunch of situations like that. But yeah, Trinity is incredibly badass. And I was also extremely young when I first watched it. So mm-hmm. I, it was more like a superhero film than anything. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like my first superhero film, basically. Because, um, man, like at the end of <laughs> the first movie, he just, that bitch just takes off. Like. <laughs> 
<laughs> he just. I know he's got a cape and everything flying and to the sky. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I totally forgot. So I was like surprised by it when I rewatched it, um, like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, I can't, I can't believe he actually just flies off. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. And then in, in, I think it's the second one. There, the um, one of the characters is like, oh, where, I think Morpheus is like, where is Neo? And another character is like, oh. You know, they're doing their, like, Superman thing. <laughs> yeah. Flying around. <laughs> flying around, because he can. Yeah. But, <laughs> right. it, but it's funny, because, like, we do find out, like, at the, like near the end of the third movie, that Trinity is actually, the, the I think, mo- the most important character in the series. She's the linchpin. Mm-hmm. Because, yep. like, she's why Neo does, uh, like, doesn't end up resetting the whole, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole program. Yeah. Um, right. But that's, that's, that's a little bit ahead. So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've seen that Ducati motorcycle that she rides, like in uh Reloaded, um, in the motorcycle chase sequence. Like I've I've seen it in the Wachowski studio. It's gorgeous. Like oh, yeah, that's awesome. just, was, was so that just great. like a total dream come true to be able to be like on their sets and interviewing them and everything? It, kinda, yeah. Total fan <laughs> total fanboying, trying to be academic and objective and yes, I'm here as a scholar, but also dying. Oh. <laughs> Because, you know, you grow up with these things and then you're right. like right in front of it being made or you're seeing all the models and the storyboards. You see the actual process of how the art is produced and it's it's mind-blowing, you know, like the amount of work that goes into just one film. Yeah. You know, is and the detail and care um, and the choices that get made, you know, like at the last second that completely change the meaning. Yeah. So like yeah. – um, so like because, so because this movie came out before their transition uh, and the sisters mm-hmm. – I know that they, there were certain things that they wanted to do that they didn't end up being able to do. Like, for example, like Switch, they wanted to have be played by a male actor in The Matrix and a female actress in the real world. Do you know if their vision in, at the time included trans like actors and actresses and characters? And like, do you think if the movie were created now, that it would be less of an allegory and more of an actual portrayal? That's an interesting question. I do know for a fact that the character of Switch was was meant to evoke a trans character. So right. I've talked to Belinda McClory, who played Switch, and when she was first interviewed for the role, they it was like it was half as big, and they were like, "Okay, you're going to be like the character in the Matrix, where like the ideal self can be realized, and then there's going to be another actor who's going to play you outside, right?" So that was very clearly she interpreted that very clearly as a, as it was going to be a transgender character right. and she actually told me she was really bummed out that warner brothers uh like cut that out of the movie yeah um so yeah they like that was a that was there from the start and i think there's a sort of kind of trans resonance you can read through a lot of the production history of the movie little comments like in the early uh, scripts for The Matrix, there's a conversation between hackers happening on the screen where, like, they are having a conversation about whether or not someone is actually a woman or not. Mm-hmm. And, like, little things like that. Like, in the early deep internet that were happening, because trans people were on the internet the minute it existed. We right. were using it. Um, and so, like, those little things, they pop up even in the film. But if you look at the production history, they're there. At the same time, I think that the movie is has always been larger than that. It's also interested in like trans experience is one it's one way of thinking about how reality can be expanded, right? But we yeah. but mm-hmm. we don't want to close down those possibilities and, and just make it about trans identification, but also trans identification points to these deeper questions. 
And so I think they're always trying to work like the characterological level or like the level of identity and then like the larger questions, the larger philosophical questions that arise from that. Um, And unfortunately, because Switch was edited out and because they couldn't be out in the industry, it was really the larger questions that were preserved and the questions of identity come later, Mm -hmm. right? Once we get more information about the people who made the film. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you were saying the thing about like the hackers and everything, because when Neo first meets Trinity, they like, they say, oh, I, I assumed you were a man. And she said, most guys do. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, there you have your transness and your feminism, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It, it can be like read different ways for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Um, so then, so th- this is kind of like a... Uh, like a theoretical question that I I was thinking about um, because like when I watch the movie, I kind of like don't necessarily view the characters as what their actors binary are. Um, mm-hmm. So does it make sense to assume that we really can't know what gender any character should have been cast as? And therefore should we really actually be referring to like the different characters as they, them like Neo, for example? It's an interesting question. I I think that they're they're playing with a number of ideas. So there's a there's a kind of appeal to androgyny in the movie, which was like a very '90s thing, also like the hotness of androgyny, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? We're like Keanu Reeves does a su- certain kind of work on the screen, not simply as a biracial actor. So he also signifies in between race, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but also kind of a kind of in between gender. Also, Trinity I think has this kind of androgynous look and so they're gesturing at like is anyone's gender really that reliable as a position (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um at the same time that they're also suggesting that the matrix if it can be mastered could actually be a space in which like an ideal gender could be achieved if someone would wish right so the switch character presents a kind of you could it's interesting to think about how non-binary and more kind of binary trans experiences are pushing up against each other in the movie where like if switch had been allowed to be switch and not edited switch would be a more an expression of a more kind of what we would call binary trans character Mm -hmm. right who so you could be between or you can be whatever you want it doesn't really matter right yeah like the possibilities of virtual space open up all these different questions i love this episode so much i'm sorry (laughs) some people have even said well why is race so stable in the matrix because why couldn't a white character have a different race or like a black character have a different race and i think those are the questions people want answers to Mm -hmm. um but hollywood just couldn't support that much change on screen and so we get these little hints at it yes so I guess <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Danielle what do you say? I don't know do I, you? I, I'm just gonna say they them because like okay. I, I guess like in my head like if the movie were came out right now I feel like the Wachowskis they might would have there, more liberty right? because like because when when using Neo's dead name, like, mm-hmm. like Mr. Anderson is he. Right. It's a right. he. So I Mr. feel like Neo would either be she, her, or they, them. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's how I watched the movie, at least. So, but whatever, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything, but uh, <laughs> do you, did you know that ne- Neo is called Neo because it's a um, anagram for one? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> 
Yeah. I just, I just, so I knew that and I forgot it and I re- remembered it and I it blew my mind. <laughs> it's not so obvious. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so <laughs> um, let's go into the actual movie a little more because we're talking sure. about a big picture right now. Sure, sure. So right from the beginning, we get the sense that something isn't right, right, in Neo's world, aka the Matrix, because um, there's little things like the computer saying follow the white rabbit, and then there's mm-hmm. suddenly a, a, a woman with a white rabbit tattoo. Yeah. Um, that there's that bu- like creepy ass bug <laughs> <laughs> scene that like he's either dreaming or not, and uh, just va- like just hints that he's not he's kind of in a dream world and mm-hmm. things aren't don't follow the rules he always thought that they followed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i in the book i write about that is like what it's like to live with like dysphoric awareness mm-hmm. where the reality everyone else tells you is real is kind of not quite right of course, you're also talking about references to classic literature like The Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland, which are highly referenced in this film. Yeah. Um, as kind of, you know, stories about reality being either not real or like being able to escape reality. There's this um, genre of portal fantasy, which both of those films are, where the current reality, you find a secret door that you can go through that leads you into a different space. I think The Matrix is also a portal fantasy in that sense. It's just right. the portal is inside Neo, right? Where the <laughs> the mirror has to go inside his body right. for him to go to the, to the other space. Um, but when I interviewed Lana for the book, she said there's like a, there's like a message in every Wachowski film that we have to find a door or a window into a different reality, because if we don't, then certain people don't get to exist. Right. So it's about looking for the, looking for the place where reality starts to be unreal. Like even there's that classic moment in the, where they're in the original, the opening scene and they're going up the stairs in the hotel and Uh Neo sees the cat twice. Yes. Right. That is classic. (laughs) Yeah. And as there's that, like, classic Keanu Reeves line like just a little deja vu you know? <laughs> yes like, exactly <laughs> but like Whoa, you, I, th- I thought you were him for a second that, that was great <laughs> like, and you look it's it's like a, a moment where the film is speaking to an experience I think a lot of people have whether you're of color and living in a white supremacist reality or you're trans living in a cis reality or you're queer living in a heteronormative space right. where like what you see other people don't see it Mm-hmm. And then you're told it's not real. So, right. like, this is also a film about being gaslit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like being told everything that all the information that you're you're getting information from your body, and people are telling you that's not really happening, right? That, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I know that it. Um, like all those scenarios also talk about like that feeling of being like like asleep and not knowing if you're awake at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, am I, there's that classic Lao Tzu philosophical conundrum, like, like, am I a butterfly dreaming that I am Lao Tzu, right? Like you could get into yeah. these really, really abstruse philosophical um, questions about how do you know reality is real? Like, that's what Morpheus asks Neo, like, what right. is real? How do you define real, right? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, there, I mean, there's a there's a million amazing like Morpheus quotes in the movie, um, mm-hmm. uh, like like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. Like you know you know there's something sorry you know there's something wrong with the world, but you can't explain it. Like a splinter in the, your mind driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Yes, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Which is what you're describing. The feeling that like this can't be real is something that trans people feel daily. Mm-hmm. Another mm-hmm. one I like is. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you to the truth. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, just Neo going, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I almost think Keanu Reeves was, was so meant for that role. <laughs> okay. I, I also wrote my notes. Keanu Reeves is so, so handsome. Uh-huh. Um, Doesn't hurt. But that's not related. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of related. I wrote in my notes that uh, watching Trinity be a badass is good for my mental health. Nice. Um, <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Sorry, my do- my dog is with me in the room, <laughs> so it doesn't get sad. Um, but yeah, I I know that also like they use mirrors to show like the fact the fractured version of self, right? Uh, and like mirrors mm-hmm. can be very traumatic for trans people. Yep. Mm-hmm. And have a deep uh, history in trans literature also. So the mirror shows up as early as like 1920s, 1920, The Well of Loneliness, which is a really famous novel about arguably about a trans character that has a really famous encounter with a mirror. Um, so and also, again, Alice in Wonderland on the other side of the looking glass. Right. right. So I think they're kind of mashing those things together in the film. Yeah. I so so th- this is my husband's favorite like movie. He like loves it so much. He's actually uh. he was super excited when I asked you to be on, and you said yes. He was like running all around the house, like screaming and <laughs> rolling around in our bed and stuff. Uh, his name is Ben. If you want to say hi, <laughs> um, be- hey Ben. <laughs> um, we we were talking about um at one point. You know, Trinity says um, you've been down that road, and you know where it leads when they're like in the mm-hmm. car and Neo trying to decide whether to come with them or not to go meet Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Is is that referring to depression or do you know exactly what they're referring to there? I think it's an interesting question. I mean, you could, you could say depression, you could say denial, right? You could say, or you could scale that up. I mean, those are like depression. What is the, what is depression really? It's like a set of symptoms related to the fact that we're trapped in a reality that we don't have agency over Mm -hmm. right so it's like the choice between red and blue pill is like the choice between a sort of passive false reality where we might feel okay but we but we've pushed away the knowledge of what's really happening right so i i think that it's like denial or awareness or like agency versus passivity and I think it's also suicidality in a certain way, right? Like, like you know where that leads means it's so denying. It's like choosing not to know is is in this film equivalent to a kind of death, right? Yeah, it's right? yeah. I saw mm-hmm. it as as like choosing to be ignorant, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, before we talk about red pill versus blue pill, which is our next topic, mm-hmm. um, just because you you started talking about like suicidality um i i know that the scene where neo says my name is neo like -hmm. parallels uh an instance in lana's life uh are you can you talk about that for a moment 
Yeah, so there's a really great speech Lana gave in 2012 when she publicly came out um, at the HRC annual gala um, where she received the Visibility Award. Um, You can find it online. Um, I sometimes show it to my students, actually, because I think it's a really eloquent articulation of the stakes of of trans art. Um, But in that speech, she talks about how she considered throwing herself in onto the subway tracks in Chicago when she was younger. And it was only because someone was watching that she didn't do it. And I keep thinking about how the watching part of that is so embedded in kind of like the role of the audience in watching all this art, like what keeps us going? Like she makes art and people watch it and it keeps her alive. Right. Like, yeah. like, um, like that, isn't that what we all want as trans people is just for someone to see us. Or, like, to see us, to see what we make and to value it. And so, like, that scene where, like, Neo articulates, like, he f- he rejects Mr. Anderson. And he says, my name is Neo. And he actually manages to get out of the way of the train. I think it's about the art of, cre- it's about creation, but it's also about self-creation and the relationship between those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a really poignant moment where we kind of see more of an autobiographical touch in the movie. Um, that, you know, Lana has talked about a very similar experience and kind of what, what saved her. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really awesome moment in the film and a really beautiful to to know the background story about what inspired that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was intentional or if it's just the kind of thing where we tend to repeat these things that happen. We work on them subconsciously. We try mm-hmm. to re we try to rewrite or rescript or, or transform them somehow. Right. You know. Awesome. Um. So, going back to the red versus the blue pill, the oh, ignorance yeah. versus the truth. <laughs> um. So it's interesting because I I guess Neo does like hesitate a little bit in the beginning. Oh, I don't think but- he hesitates. Oh, oh, when before presented with the op- I understand about meeting Morpheus. Yeah, about jumping out the window. Um, <laughs> um, but like he's he's dead set on finding out finding the, out what the truth is and waking up from this fake reality, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and are h- hormone therapy pills like red pills? Is that a thing? At the time the Matrix was made, Premarin, which is a synthetic f- version of estrogen, I believe, mm-hmm. was red. Okay. Yes. Um, caveat trans women sometimes take oral medication like this most trans men do injections i was about to say that yeah Yeah. so he doesn't get a needle (laughs) right (laughs) which would be a whole other thing right um that goes into my theory that he's a trans woman though (laughs) right (laughs) at the time generic estrogen was was red yes cool Mm -hmm. You say in your book, in the scene, Morpheus is like the doctor or counselor evaluating uh, dysphoric trans subjects' preparedness for transition. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So this is a moment where the Matrix really does reproduce the relationship between the trans subject and like the medical industry in a certain way where um, to access medical transition, you often have to talk to a therapist for quite an amount of time and then Mm -hmm. that person evaluates whether you're like ready for it right and like is your pathway forward in terms of accessing hormonal therapy um but what's interesting here is that 
there are two ways to do this. There's like the normal way, which is kind of like the WPATH standards that are in place where the provider has all the power and they evaluate the trans person, like whether they're like really trans. Mm -hmm. But then there's another pathway where the medical provider, it's called informed consent, where the medical provider will be like, if I give you these things, this is what will happen. Where they're not evaluating the trans person's identity. They're just saying like, do you want these changes? And so, and so that's a far more kind of gender self-determinative uh, pathway. Right. And that's what we see Morpheus doing here where he's like the ideal, he's like the ideal therapist Yeah, <laughs> where he's like, here's what will happen. If I give you this, you are the one in, in control. It has right. to come from you. Right. Um, and I'm not here to tell you, remember Morpheus says what was said to you by the Oracle was for you and not for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's this way in which Morpheus allows Neo to control the process and doesn't assert his own kind of plan for Neo, even though he wants to. And so like that, like I've showed this, I I teach this movie in my queer theory course when we talk about trans theory and my students are like, Oh my God. Oh my God. It's like (laughs) the moment (laughs) in the doctor's office. I'm like, yeah, it is. Cause that's how it happens, you know? Right. Um, so Going back to the pills. Uh, yes, so the pills. I do I obviously one of the main questions people probably ask themselves is which pill would you take? Uh-huh. <laughs> do you have an answer for that? Uh wow, no one has ever asked me that before. Oh, really? That's like a really cool question. Um I think I would take the red pill. Okay. I mean, I think everyone thinks they would take the red pill. That's the thing. <laughs> It's like it's like the honorable thing to do, but would you really is the question, right? I know. Uh, it's hard to know, for sure. It's hard to know, but without taking the red pill, the movie can't happen. So right. <laughs> someone has to take that damn pill, you know? Right. It might as well be me. Um, but I got to say, though, uh, you compared um, Morpheus to like a, counsel- a good counselor, but yeah. I feel like he also should have said, more about how <laughs> shitty the world outside the actually is. <laughs> like, I know. it's really shitty out there. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And, like, Neo's first kind of few days in reality are just him, like, vomiting and not being able to handle yeah. it. <laughs> but it's also, like, in some ways, like, when you start hormone therapy, you really do have this period where, like, nothing makes sense and you don't fit anywhere right. and everyone thinks you're weird looking and your body is doing all this crazy shit. So, in a way, I kind of get that. It's like most of these counselors who approve hormone therapy aren't trans people. Yeah. Right. So, like, they can describe theoretically what the right. total destruction of your reality will feel like, but... They can't. Ex- they haven't experienced it themselves. Right. That makes perfect sense. I would also take the red pill. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what would you take? Look. Blue pill. Blue Look. pill. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm tired a lot. You like your steaks and fine wine? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, cipher. I do love steak. Um, no, um, <laughs> it's honestly, it's. I I feel like I do seek out knowledge, even though the state of the world is depressing. I need to know about it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, 
ideally red pill, but who fucking knows? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the day. Yeah, actually, probably. <laughs> yeah. Depends on the hour. Um, I, I yeah. also like that they try, like they tried to show with Zion and everything that a lot of the people who took the red pill and woke up are people of color, which yeah. makes sense. Makes total sense. I mean, Cipher, who's this like white cis dude, <laughs> yeah. right? Who goes by Mr. Reagan ah! in, inside the Matrix? Like, is our example of like, oh, it makes sense to go back to that reality because in that reality, he's got a lot of privilege. Right. And it's, you kind of think about climate change deniers and like their psychology. It's like, you know, pretending it's not happening because in that, in the future reality where like everything is on fire, does being white matter that much? You know, like. Yeah. I mean, he literally says ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So. Staying in my little bubble as long as I can. Well, that's the thing about the Matrix, though, is that it's so universal, universally relatable. Yeah. Um, but and like it, like cis white men love this movie. They did. <laughs> you know <laughs> why? Why do you think that is? <laughs> Well, I here's the thing. I think without the very important context of authorship, like this is a movie made by trans ladies about right. gender and, you know, without that context, it does you can kind of fall into this trap of like kind of Nietzschean thinking about it that it's it, it really is a superhero movie, right? Like it's mm-hmm. about like oh, again and again that all is contingent on the fact that like even Keanu Reeves who is not a white person is read by American audiences as white. But when you, so when you go over to like East Asia, people there very much view Keanu Reeves as like Chinese, Mm -hmm. like a Chinese actor. Mm -hmm. So it's really like that whole interpretation of the matrix as being like for kind of like alt-right fuck boys (laughs) is like very contingent on US centered author, like viewing experience to begin with. Um, And then uh, now the Wachowskis are out, so it's just kind of ruining their party. Like twenty years I know, later, it's so good. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, and and also like if actually like if you watch the sequels, there's a reason why the all right doesn't like the sequels because the sequels are like wait, the whole hero narrative that Neo buys into in the first movie turns out to be totally fake news, right? And he's not actually the one. And actually, like you spend all this time with like people of color who are doing the real fighting and all of a sudden it gets very messy and people don't like that. Yeah. There's a huge chunk where Neo's not even in the movie. Right. Yeah. It's so funny to me that he spends half an hour in a train station in the third movie. That's (laughs) hilarious. I know. Right. Like just on ice. (laughs) (laughs) They've actually shown these films to white supremacists. There's a great article about this. And, um, at least when the when the sequels came out, the white supremacists hated them. Like, <laughs> mm. hated having to be in Zion. Hated, like, all this, like, black folks with guns stuff. You know, like, fighting, fight the power kind of much more infused. Like, like Morpheus is clearly kind of riffing on Martin Luther King Jr. and the I Have a Dream speech where he gives the big speech in the second movie. There's a lot mm, of stuff yeah. about the Black Panthers there. Like... Um, and, and like people just, I, I, people fault the second and third movies for being like, not making sense, which, okay, fine. (laughs) But also, 
people just are racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? And didn't yeah. like them because it took that the it took our focus off of the sort of the white center of their little world. And so, you know, I really like the sequels. I thought they were cool. Yeah. Yeah, I do love the uh idea that he was just a tool for mm-hmm. them. Like he like uh, one of the things that um like his boss says in the first movie his like before he jump fails to jump out the window is mm-hmm. that uh he's a co- he literally says cog in the machine i think yeah yeah which uh-huh. is like a little on the nose to be fair but um yeah like a lot of people identify with being a cog in the machine and then wanting to break out of that mm-hmm. because people don't like to go to work they feel depressed they um just like feel oppressed because they don't have they're not the top dog you know like right so of course people identify with that and then and then they think they're superhero and then they're they're still not right they're still they're they're in a cog in a machine that's a cog in another machine exactly which, the machine is yeah. much larger than we ever yeah. thought right yeah yeah which, yeah I, I I enjoyed I like that he wasn't actually. Uh, he was just a tool, basically. I love well, that. Well, he he does become a hero, but he has to do it for himself, right? Right, like the like the prophecy chosen. isn't going to do it for you. Right. It's about self determination, right. right? So, no, like, and that's why I think there's like this kind of trans resonance to the whole story because like the machine doesn't produce trans people. We have to do it ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I like that you said on the nose because that is so how the Wachowskis are. Like their movies are, they do exactly what the movie is about. So in that scene <laughs> where Neo is talking to his boss in like, what is it, Megatex or whatever terrible corporation he works for, yeah. Megacorp. And evil Corp, yeah. Evil, evil, shitty corporate politics place. <laughs> yeah. And he's talking and in the background, someone's washing the windows and it's like this squeaking noise and you see like this like film being washed off the windows and it's literally about like Neo's perceptions being clouded, right? And he nice. needs to wake up and see what's really going on. So there's just moves like that in the movie that are so fun. They're so good. Nice. And <laughs> universal, right? Like we've all we all feel oppressed because we're caught in this we're caught in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so yeah, so The Matrix is quite literally a movie about mind over matter. Like mm-hmm. with examples like if they die in the Matrix, they die in real life. Uh, unless, like Neo, they're able to fully accept that everything they see and feel in the Matrix is not real. But mm-hmm. but Neo is also part program, so I don't know how fair that is. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wait, he's part program. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is the result of a program, right? Okay. Well- so yeah, wait. Explain this because, like, because this is the one thing that's like kind of confusing <laughs> to me. How he could be both. Uh, I think I don't think he's like the agents. I think so. He's not software, um, but he is. His creation is an effect of programming. So he's meant to be created, right? Um, and then because of. The Oracle? Is that what you mean? Or Yeah, the Oracle okay. is, is the person. So the Oracle kind of is the person maintaining the cycle, right? Where right. her role is to kind of initiate the reboot, 
right? right. And right. so like maybe like there's some kind of and again, we're getting into the weeds here, but um there's some kind of failsafe that Neo represents where he has to he it's not about him being a program, it's about him reaching a decision point that's been programmed and having to make the decision to either destroy Zion or reboot. Right, okay. And every Neo chooses to reboot. Yeah. So because then- he's human because he's human and makes a human decision. Right. So am I are you following me here? It's a little yes. bit yeah. yes. again, like the movies are a little complicated. Um <laughs> And I, I'm not sure how important this even is, really. It, it, I think the bigger, the bigger point is that Neo thinks he has control, but he really doesn't. Right. Right. So it's like a false sense of mastery in the first film. In the book, I write about how this is how like identity movements get recaptured by the system because you know you get like a bunch of trans people together and we're like we're trans we're going to change the system we identify this is our identity we're going to build a politics and then the system comes along and assimilates you right and and so then you become part of the thing that's that's you become caught up in the whole system because it's like oh the system recognizes you in in critical theory it's called interpolation which is how the system kind of reaches out and grabs onto identity and how it starts to use that as a way of reproducing itself rather than as a liberatory mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so we see we see that transition in the first film from like identity functioning as like a liberation to identity functioning as a prison. Yeah, and I mean they say like trapped in a prison of the mind. Uh mm-hmm. which like we like we say like we're accepting the gender binary because we're told to. Exactly. Um, yep. And then I also think it's interesting when more like Morpheus says basically like they don't like to wake up people after a certain age because mm-hmm. it's like much harder for them to accept everything, which is true for like our world as well. Like it's it's harder for like older people to transition or even to just accept that the gender isn't necessarily binary. Right. Like my students always say, Well, eventually all the conservative people will die off. <laughs> And then society will radically change. And I'm like, we've been saying that forever. What happens is that people become more conservative as they age because they become more programmed. (laughs) (laughs) Like we just do more time in the system. And so we become more, we accept it more. Yeah. And also some people, some young people are super conservative too, you know, they start out and they're, they learn from their, uh, from the adults, so I, that's yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I was definitely I was conservative when I was young, and then I feel like at mm-hmm. some point I took the red pill, and now I'm like not anymore. That's <laughs> 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 like give me all of them. <laughs> when I show this film in uh, in class, I bring in little medicine cups with a little. Um, <gasps> What are those, like the cinnamon hearts? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I just hand them out to all my students so they can take a red pill while they're nice. watching. <laughs> Do you ever bring in like a little like blue like Tic Tac or something? Like in case someone like, is like, no, fuck this. If wants to opt out, yeah. <laughs> You'd be so ashamed to eat the blue Tic Tac. Like. Yeah. Because <laughs> people are watching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Professor is watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it, like... Like this movie, this movie really shows that like, uh, like basically like in the Matrix, like 
everyone who takes the red pill is basically they're hunted down and killed just for accepting their truth and existing as themselves, mm -hmm. which is very similar yeah. to uh, whereas in our world, trans and non-binary people like coming out can be a death sentence. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. And that's why I think more and more as I get older that really the real stakes of what's happening are like who gets to control what's real you know right and people will people will kill for the power to define that it's what we're going through right now as a country i think in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um you know this it's i think it's also why people in in the alt-right community really liked this movie when it first came out because it seemed to be about controlling reality in some way right yeah. it just mm -hmm. turns out that the control being like represented isn't isn't the control that they seek it's a different kind um but uh you know like people are trying to define to just like define trans people out of existence that's what's happening right now like at the at the level of how we define even something like sex right mm -hmm. like that was just the supreme court hearing we just had so like if you remove the conditions by which people can become real then you remove their ability to amass any kind of power so i'm trying to think about how exactly neo defeated um what's his face <laughs> what was his name sorry smith smith, smith. yes yeah. so generic um uh -huh. because um it it's based on what um, the Oracle says about if you can't understand it, it can't happen almost. Right. That's that it was it was a little hard to understand how because or the Oracle became uh, went from a prophet to a computer program right mm -hmm. over the three movies. And suddenly it's about a computer program being able to tell what's going to happen. And. Mm -hmm. Even the oracle cannot tell because the oracle is not human and cannot really understand what Neo is going to do. Right. Right. So in a way, that is like cis people unable <laughs> unable to understand what trans people are going through, right? Yeah. I mean, so you think the oracle is this site of transformation and then you find out that really she's she's the one passing right like there's mm -hmm. all of this yeah. about like how trans people pass and cis people are the real people and trans people are the fake people but in this movie the cis people are all fake so the oracle is a program who's wearing a pretty interesting form of racial drag actually because she's hanging out in the matrix programming as a kind of mammy figure Mm -hmm. Like this kind of very inviting black stereotype um, who then we find out is not what she looks like. Right. Right. Um, and she can't actually predict the future. All she can do is describe how the past has happened before. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you think about cis, the word cis means same side, mm -hmm. um, whereas trans means to cross. And if you think about all the looping structures in the Matrix trilogy, as a kind of cis form where they, they just only know how to do the same thing over and over. And they present it as new every time, but every time it's not actually new. 
mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of how cis logic works. Whereas, like, and Neo needs to realize that that's what's happening. Right. In order to really actually, in the third film, make some original decisions. God. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's such uh, a good movie. Um, yeah. So, do you- so, like, you, you were just saying that the Oracle basically, you know, is wearing kind of like a like drag as, because, mm-hmm. like, so, like, it, something I, f- I find amazing is that in the third movie, she is played by a different actress um, mm-hmm. because Gloria Foster passed away. Right. Um, and then, like, Mary Alice apparently was, like, her friend in real life, and she took over the role. And This is what my husband told me. He said, like, she was her her friend in real life, and she... She took over the role, like, to honor her? Uh, it's possible. I don't know. But, yeah, that's, it's, oh, that's sweet. it's very yeah. unusual to have a role across characters like that. The Wachowskis have done it more than once. Yeah, but the cool thing was they yeah. actually pointed it out, which is something that yeah. most most people <laughs> mm-hmm. do not point out when a black character is uh, replaced mm-hmm. by another replaced. actor or actress. <laughs> like, they, no, they just, like, act like it doesn't, like, it's just, like, whatever. Like, it's just another black person. It's, a, like, it, who knows? Yeah, so <laughs> I thought it was really cool they made it part of the story. Right. And I'm wondering yeah. if like, she hadn't died, if they would have made that part of the story so. somehow, or... I don't think I so. I doubt it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, because that's where... The f- the function of the Oracle becomes more obvious, yeah. Because she can take she she's just like, oh, I found this other form I really like, you know, <laughs> and you know what I mean. And you start to see that she has maybe like more motives than you might imagine. So yeah, I think it works for the movie, but it's interesting that they didn't write out the character entirely. Like they try, they used the conceit of the matrix to like work with that character and allow the character to continue being a a thing in the movie, which I think is great. We just want roles for black women in movies. You know what I mean? Exactly. And like, she kind of describes this for a little bit because she says like, she, like when she's describing her new face and body, she says it's like looking in a mirror, not recognizing their own face. Uh Uh Really cool. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. So, I just thought that was so cool that they weren't just like, uh, it's just like another like black woman. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is how they made it part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like she's learning lessons from the whole trans mode that the movie is mm-hmm. operating in, right? Where she gets a new body too, you know? Yes. Yeah. So we don't we did we haven't talked a, a, we talked a little bit about Zion, but we can talk a little bit more about that world and like this this war they've been waging for literally centuries probably yeah, i don't know however but they i guess they much don't time. know that because they, they don't, don't know that they've been reset no. a bunch of times right no i think maybe it's unclear how much morpheus knows about this but it becomes a real burden in the movie of knowing like how many zions have existed prior to this zion right because it like has been destroyed at least six times before because there have been six other versions of Neo. Right. So, and every time he's like chosen to re I think reset the matrix and then Zion has been ruined. Right. So like, yeah. And then, um, and then he like gets to wake up a certain amount of people to restart Zion. Right. And they repopulate it. And then it, 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 so Zion is a kind of prison 
even though it's a space where people think they're fighting for freedom, it's like planned as a kind of collection spot for everyone who wakes up. So then the the machines can kill them all. Right. Because they know that there will be like protests and like a revolution of some sort eventually. But this is a controlled one that they they can like kind of play on their chessboard um, yeah. and they I don't even know their it, pieces yeah on my uh university campus there's a space the university has designated as the like expressive zone oh where gosh like, protesters go get to stand if they want to protest oh <laughs> and it's like way far away like oh my god and, and I, I think of zion that way right like it's a little space that the the machine has invented for people who want to express <laughs> oh my <laughs> you know God. what i mean yeah that's that's perfect <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and then like all like it, it must have like a huge toll on the mental health of everyone who lives there to be like constantly fighting this battle i feel like they know they're gonna lose but they have hope that they don't that they won't lose mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's i think the it's a really interesting representation of of kind of the experience of people of color under white supremacy right like there there's been this really long struggle under what seemed like almost impossible conditions um and we know about inherited trauma and and what it does to to people um and yet there's like this this amazing ingenuity also involved in that in that resistance you Mm -hmm. know Mm-hmm. Um, that also I think really comes through where Zion, it, it looks grimy. It looks retrofuturist, right? It lo- like, but there's also all this organicism there. Like there's all right. this warmth and, and color and it's the only place in the world that feels natural. Yeah. You know, so it has these aspects of both being a trap, but also being a family mm-hmm. or like, you know, um, I think it's the closest thing to a family space we see. That's left. Yeah. Um, and then, like, so, so, like, Morpheus has to, like, watch his own ship explode, which is, like, obviously devastating for him. And, like, the ship isn't, mm-hmm. it's not just, like, a ship. It's, like, basically where his whole found family lives. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Poor Morpheus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, like, he really doesn't, he does not get a good deal in these movies because like the last the last thing it's like his world is crumbling like he believes so much in the one prophecy yeah and that is in at that's actually instrumental to the system rebooting but it's also instrumental to neo possibly like diverging from the prophecy itself so it's like morpheus is both part of how the system needs the system needs him to wake neo from the matrix but once he does that the system can't totally control what neo does right right so it's like i've often thought about what it would be like if neo was the black act like played by a black actor like will smith and morpheus was not and how that would change the racial politics of this relationship where like morpheus has to believe in the in the language of kind of liberation and but neo gets to be the one to actually achieve that state or you know what i mean we're like you think about Mm -hmm. how say asian and black folks in the u.s have kind of 
always kind of had this like relationship where they're compared to one another, like the model minority and then the like undesirable legacy of slavery, right? There's there's like a whole kind of an racial analysis you could kind of think about there and like why the film elevates the sort of racial hybridity of Neo over blackness in different ways, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you can't Sorry. think about that. I mean, it's a lot to, no, it's a lot to think about. Just, uh, just so much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and just and like, yeah, like Morpheus basically like has almost like a blind faith. Yeah. In Neo, mm-hmm. and he, like as like a white savior, like yeah. like false god type right character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, they do say that they were like because of him, they're able to wake up more people in the past like six months than six years which Mm -hmm. is obviously good Uh, is it something that i think about is that like so there are like a lot of scenes that are like pretty like violent uh with people in the matrix dying just like being like (laughs) just like uh like the scene where uh neo and trinity go into uh that like tower to break morpheus out and they're just like Mm -hmm. killing all those guards and like, yeah. when, like when you watch it, you're kind of like, oh, that's okay. It's in the Matrix. It's not real. And then you're, but then you have to think about it. And you're like, wait, no, those people, those people actually do die because <laughs> yeah. like uh-huh. they're dying in the Matrix. That means they're dying in reality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there's the agents who aren't people, but then the cops are, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So the, do, do they just they just think those people are never gonna wake up? So it's okay for them to be casualties? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I got to tell you, when I watched that, the bank, so you're talking about like the, yes. the scene where they go in with all the guns yes. right. and they're shooting all like, yeah. right, the, like the, I think it's called the hotel lobby scene or yeah. whatever. Um, I think cinema has really changed because like the 90s were different, y'all. And like you could show <laughs> cops getting shot like that. And now you just Shit. can't. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> movies just don't do that anymore. Like, show that many cops getting there just, like, lit up. In, you like, know? a really like, cool way. <laughs> I was like, this is cool. cops. I was thinking about it more, and I was like, wait, no, that means they actually die. <laughs> I think, but, like, because it's in the Matrix, everything is so, like... It looks fake, part of it. Yeah, it's even tinted mm-hmm. green, which is really a right. cool aspect. And, like people can't fly you know so like it's like obviously this like it doesn't it's not very realistic the way they die either because it's no they're just kind of like oh it's really dramatic and like there's way too like also they cannot shoot for like they don't even need bullet time they cannot (laughs) shoot for shit apparently in the matrix (laughs) yeah but see, but here's where you're. Here's what's really gonna bake your noodle, as the oracle would say, <laughs> is that do they really want to stop Neo because they want him to reboot, right? So that's when you start to be oh, like, shit. oh shit, <laughs> he needs to do all this stuff because. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, well, we haven't even really talked about uh, Smith and how he is somehow separated from the system right Mm -hmm. yeah where he does manage to get out as like a rogue viral program yeah right which is where that whole mind-body duality starts to really break down in this film because like 
I hear you about mind over matter, but it's not like the that they can ever leave totally leave behind the material world. Like there's always there are always implications. Like you're saying in the material world, no matter what happens in the matrix, like there are effects that matter. Um, so like Smith being able to jump also is interesting. I I haven't spent much time thinking about it. Um, right. But people who fault the Matrix being like, oh, it's just about like abstraction and it's about like getting out of your body and leaving the body behind. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not. Like, it's, it's about like the fact that Neo has two bodies. Mm-hmm. It's not that he finds his real body. It's that he has always two or more than two all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's more important to think about the whole like the body cannot live without the mind. Right. And they have to be like integrated. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think it would be weird to have a mental health uh episode about the matrix and not say there is no spoon. Uh- <laughs> there is no spoon. <laughs> That's- Sometimes when I'm having a really bad day and I'm texting my best friend about all the bullshit, he, they just text back, there is no spoon. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I feel like that's amazing. <laughs> it's so funny because that's such a recent kind of uh, thing that people have started using, uh-huh. like the number of spoons. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. it, it works so perfectly with this movie. <laughs> I have no spoons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? I think we're close to wrapping up. Uh, I mean, I lo- I love that like they introduce like the Frenchman to talk about the illusion of choice because it kind of like leads into like the whole like o- Oracle is actually like a program and mm-hmm. Neo never really had a choice. Like this is kind of right. like like until that last scene where well not the last quite last but like when he's choosing between the two doors. That's like yeah. And even then, he didn't really have a choice because the Oracle, like, messed with the system to make Trinity exist in his life. Mm-hmm. And if Trinity didn't yeah. exist in his life, he would have chosen the door to reset. Right. Exactly. So, mm. yeah, choice is an illusion. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was also really, uh, it was interesting to see the programs get a little bit humanized with um, Sari, I think is is her name? I think her it's dad. Is it Sati? 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 Yeah, oh, okay. I think it's Sati. Oh, okay. Sati. Yeah. Sati and her dad and mm-hmm. trying to leave because they'll get deleted because they yeah. don't have a purpose anymore. Right. Yeah. That's I think again, that's about them trying to break down they set up this kind of more Manichaean world where there's like the matrix and the real world and then everything starts to bleed together because Neo starts doing shit he's not supposed to do, right? So things start to like Mm-hmm. Like that, like bleed together, right? Um, postmodernity starts to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the, like they say that, like, like the programs, if they don't have a purpose, they're deleted. Mm-hmm. And the, like, and the dad is talking about love, and Neo is just like, I don't understand. How can you feel love? And the dad's just like, Well, the lo- love is just a word. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just using it to describe my experience. <laughs> yeah. I also just think it's fun to watch the movie because, like, now smartphones are a thing that people are on all the time. And so it's funny. I know. Like, I can't imagine, like, watching this movie for the first time now and being like, why aren't they just using their smartphones? <laughs> like, 
I know. Like, there are so many scenes in this movie that wouldn't exist if <laughs> smartphones existed. I had that experience recently with Buffy, where I was, like, rewatching Buffy, and I was like, wait. <laughs> this whole scene could just be deleted by the existence of texting. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. But, yeah, that hard line into the Matrix through the analog phone. I sometimes wonder if younger people know how those phones even worked. No. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny yeah um and then my 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 last thought was like another one like conceptual thought because so i've i've never heard a podcast other than um the other i i heard an, another interview you did on a podcast um uh. which oh do you remember what was it called again in case anyone wants to check it out I've done a couple. The most recent I did was Drew Morton's podcast, which is called Film School Fess Ups. Yes, but I have I really haven't heard any other ones discussing the Matrix as a trans allegory. Um, yeah, but I have heard ones discussing the Matrix like not passing the Bechdel test. Hmm. And so interesting. I think it's interesting to think about how like if if like these characters are trans or non-binary, does the Matrix then passed the Bechdel test. Or is the Bechdel test kind of just like a cis test, right? Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Like, is it like actually I mean? like, a white, like a white feminist test? <laughs> like a- yeah, like in the sense of like, who's to say what a woman is to begin with? How do we even know? Right. So, I mean, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like you have feminists wanting to say we need more women with speaking roles, talking to each other about not men, which I think I would support. Mm -hmm. But then does that create a set of conditions that then stabilize gender in a way that makes it like, you know what I mean? Like it, it re it like stabilizes gender in this way that makes other conversations not able to happen. Um, So I think there should be some kind of like other like Wachowski test or something. (laughs) Yeah. That was such a cool response. Yeah, because, like, the Bechtel test is useful, but it's not the only tool we could apply to analyze how gender is working in a film. Of course. And I do think The Matrix must pass the Bechtel test because there is a moment, there's one very, very meaningful moment where Trinity and Switch talk. Yes. Right before Switch gets unplugged. Oh. Right? Yeah. And, and... It's that moment where they both are like, oh, shit, things are going wrong. And and there's like a moment where they recognize that like, there's just a moment between them that's, I think, very important mm-hmm. that isn't about anybody else. And she says, not like this. Like, yeah, not like this, right? Um, but also, I would just say, sure, Bechdel test, apply that to like rom-coms, but leave sci-fi alone. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or like, can we have more? There's a, a famous update to the Bechtel test called the Vito Russo test. Mm-hmm. Vito Russo was a gay male cinema studies person. It was like, do two gay people ever like talk about not straight things or whatever? And you could just like create more and more iterations of that test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot. We talk. I don't remember which episode it was, but we talked about a bunch of them on one of our episodes. Oh yeah, yeah probably yeah, yeah. Captain Marvel. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we had a Captain Marvel episode, and obviously that did pass the Bechdel test. Exactly, yep. <laughs> but that would be a tragedy if that didn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, I think it's instructive in in some situations, but when with trans issues, you have to kind of think differently about gender, right? right. Yeah. That was such a good answer. Thank you. Sure. And of course, uh, you've probably heard the news that Matrix Four is coming out, right? Uh, my Twitter and Google alerts <laughs> were just like exploding, and every friend you like, have is like messaging. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> I, I suspected something was happening because I, I knew that Lana was in L.A. And I was like, oh, there are probably studio talks happening. But I didn't know what the project was. So this is right. this is really cool. I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> what do you, you want to see in it? What do I want to see? I have no idea. It is right? <laughs> very hard to imagine what could happen. I, I want to see Morpheus again mm-hmm. a okay. lot. Like, I want to know what happened, like, where he's at. Um mm-hmm. I'm very curious how Trinity how Trinity is going to be in the movie because yeah. we saw her die. So what's the explanation there? Um, yeah. Oh, and I'm super curious. They're apparently casting for young Neo. Oh. And I'm very curious to see who they cast because it would be so interesting for them to cast an Asian actor. Right. Because that would really change, again, revise on how Keanu Reeves' image was received in the original movies if, if the younger Neo is clearly Asian. Yeah. Um, so I think there could be some, whatever they choose to do will like, in the, it will like inform prior interpretation in a, in a cool way. How hard is it for you not to message them your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't, they would not listen to me at all. <laughs> But I am interested in possibly updating the book once mm-hmm. the new movie comes out. So I'm going to see if my press is open to like me adding a chapter on the new film, depending on like how it goes. I do know also Lily is making some interesting work also in television. So um, it would be cool to like collect their new projects and uh, add them. Well, I know nice. I know that Ben will buy it. So if you <laughs> put it out, he'll Thanks, buy it. Thanks, Ben. He'll at least have one sale. <laughs> <laughs> uh if do, do we have any closing thoughts before we finish um my closing thought is even though this whole film this whole uh podcast is about the matrix that everyone should watch bound mm-hmm. which <laughs> okay is the wachowski's what, first it's the wachowski's first film and it's basically oh. also the matrix um it's a lesbian neo-noir thriller um, starring Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly, and it is like the perfect movie. It is so good. <laughs> cool. It will blow your mind. All right. So watch that and get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally sexy, totally smart. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want people to find you online, I don't know if you do, but if you do, <laughs> where can people find you? Um, uh, uh, my website is kalekegan.com. That's C-A-E-L-K-E-E-G-A-N. Um, and I'm on Twitter under that name as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, people can track down what I'm doing there. Awesome. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for being on. This is honestly, I think my favorite episode we've done. Uh, <laughs> uh, and to our listeners, thank you so much for listening Please take a moment to subscribe, review, and rate us. It's the easiest way to help support our podcast. This week's review comes from Cozy27. I learned a lot of new fandoms by listening to the podcast. The chemistry and friendship amongst the hosts is contagious. It's refreshing to hear a podcast that highlights how fandoms can be a form of self-care. Looking forward to more episodes.
And if you want to chat with us about the episode, please do. Our social medias are Fandom and Wellness on Instagram, Fandom and Wellness on Facebook, and Fandom Wellness on Twitter. You can find me at Little Petal on Instagram, Arkita at Classy Rebel Design on Instagram, and Jenny at The Box of Shadows on Instagram. I'm sorry that my dog Nort has been barking this whole time, but Ben is on vacation and he misses him. Oh, oh. <laughs> And I'm going to plug something. Uh, if you are a big fan of the Raven Cycle series, you can pre-order a limited edition Raven Cycle box from FanMail at myfanmail.com. That's spelled M-Y-F-A-N-M-A-I-L.com. And if you want bonus content, you can join our fandom family at patreon.com slash fandom and wellness for Patreon-exclusive geek sessions. Uh, Kale, would you like to say our sign-off? <coughs> Be kind and take no shit. <laughs> Yay! Thank you! Yay. Thank you! Amazing! <laughs>